So this week we're going to talk about the BPD-FP. Lots of acronyms, right? So the FP is the borderline personality disorder favorite person. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Today we're going to talk about the BPD FP, or favorite person. Now, this is a topic that I have always been curious about myself. If you recall in previous episodes, I had made it a point not to use what I consider to be quote-unquote BPD language in my determination to overcome the disorder. I did some great research on the topic over the past week, and I am so excited to share it with you guys. Now, before I jump into defining a favorite person or an FP relationship, it's important to note that FP is not a clinical term. It's not used by clinicians or psychiatrists, therapists, what have you. It was actually created by the BPD community. Clinically, we can use terms like unstable relationships, idealization and devaluing and fear of abandonment. That being said, people with BPD think differently. We just think differently. So I know that I can say for myself that I process information quite differently than my neurotypical peers and colleagues, even without meeting criteria for the disorder. So instead of talking in scientific terms, we're going to talk in BPD terms and use the phrase FP. So what is it? Well, Individuals with BPD often experience an intense attachment to a single person. This person then determines our mood, our identity, and our self-worth. Sometimes this type of attachment starts in early childhood. Maybe you followed someone around or stayed close to one particular adult, teacher, coach, or peer. In adolescence and early adulthood, your FP could be a best friend, so it could have been a best friend turned FP, it could be a girl or a guy friend, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Now, if you recall my own story of recovery from BPD in previous episodes, I talked about my first breakup and how intense that was. Now, having learned about an FP, I realized that he was my FP. I wouldn't have done anything to make him happy. I believe the FP is the most devastating in a romantic relationship because when the relationship ends, it's like a death, like a part of you has died. This goes for any FP relationship, actually. So I could be wrong there about being worse or more devastating in a romantic relationship, but I am speaking from my own experience here. But I remember that breakup so well. It was awful. It was emotionally and physically painful in my BPD mind. It was as if there was simply no reason to go on living without my FP. I know a lot of you can relate to that feeling, right? It's as if we're empty on the inside and place our everything into the hands of another person because the task of filling up our own insides with our own self-worth is just too huge and too far out of reach, too seemingly impossible. So what is the difference between a favorite person and a best friend? 
For those of you listening that are unfamiliar with this FP notion or are listening for a loved one, I want to note the difference between a bestie and an FP. So a best friend is someone you love hanging out with, you're loyal to, you can count on. It's a reciprocal relationship with a good balance of give and take from both parties, right? An FP is an emotional dependence on someone. If an FP is upset with us, in a poor mood, not returning our calls or texts, etc., it just breaks us. Our day and our mood is determined by the experiences we have with a favorite person. We give everything to that person to make them happy and to ensure that they don't leave us. We burn out quickly and then we go through this cycle, right, of idealizing and then devaluing the person when they don't meet our very high expectations. With an FP relationship, honestly, there's not much reciprocity or give and take. A client once told me that her mother taught her to give her to give everything that she had to others. She used the metaphor of a bag of peanuts. She said that if people were starving and she only had one bag of peanuts, she would give away her whole bag of peanuts in order to feed others. She used this as an example of just how empathetic and how compassionate she is. She claimed that giving away all of her peanuts was the way she could take care of others. My question to her was that, like, let's say there truly was a famine and she gave away all of her peanuts. What would she eat? She would die for the sake of others? The answer she gave was a resounding yes. Well, of course I would. This is the type of relationship someone with BPD has with an FP. They give away all of their peanuts and then... When we're burned out from giving all of our peanuts away and we're hungry, we expect that others will do the same for us. The only problem being that they don't have BPD. We do. So they don't meet that expectation. And then we are devastated, broken, lost, abandoned, and feel unloved. We feel like we're nothing. So that's the difference between a bestie and an FP. The FP relationship is very one-sided. There's not a lot of give and take. It appears like there is, but underneath that facade, there's not. Now, I will say this. It's important that if you're a loved one out there that you understand that not all relationships that people with BPD have are FP relationships. Usually, there are one or two people that an individual with BPD considers to be an FP. And again, this is all generally speaking because... We are individuals, so there are going to be individual differences. So I, as many of you know, I have a Facebook group called From Borderline to Beautiful, and we have a free support group on Monday night, so feel free to come and check us out. So on the group, I asked members about the favorite person, and I just wanted to read some personal accounts of a favorite person, and I'm going to keep these all anonymous. So one person said, FP, in my opinion, is exhausting. It's like that one person who can make you feel up in the sky in a sec, and in another one, you can feel worthless. And in all caps, this person wrote, emotionally exhausting. All right, someone else wrote this. So my favorite person is my boyfriend. He's the only person in my life who had ever taken the time and effort to deal with the good and bad of my BPD. To me, 
As much as I really do love this man, he is the one who gets all of my insecurities, all of my jealousy, and my negative feelings. They're all directed towards him. He seems to be my target, so to speak. His moods affect my moods. His views of things turn into my views, too. He gets the good parts, too, and he is the one I tend to go overboard with. Smothering actions, very clingy, very attention-seeking, he gets those parts, too. For me, I try to mirror him to an extent, if that makes sense. Not try to be exactly like him, but his demeanor and how he's carrying himself in the moment seems to set the tone for whatever situation, instead of me being my own person. I kind of look to him to see how I should react in situations. That's huge, right? I love that account because that's what a favorite person looks like in a romantic relationship. All right. So the third person is a little bit further along in their recovery. So they're talking about favorite person sort of in the past. Um, this individual says, I have a few favorite nowadays. My intensity for favorite, favorite people wavered depending on my mental health. They could be catharsis or an addiction. I don't think those people were my favorite people, not in a healthy way. I'd hate them and then love them in quick su succession. I'd feel they saved me and let me down all in one go. Spreading my love amongst many is better, less intense, more manageable. My favorite people now are the ones that impact me for the better, help me be balanced, keep me on the right track and want good things for me. Favorite people is fine if you have worked on yourself enough and know what's good for you. All of this takes time. So this person's saying that it seemed like they were her FP or her favorite person, but actually it wasn't a healthy relationship because she'd hate the person and love them like, you know, almost instantly to this like back and forth. So how does having an FP or favorite person relate to the BPD criteria? All right, so let's break this down a little bit further. So first of all, our mood is dependent on our favorite person. We talked a bit before about the difference between bipolar disorder and BPD. Bipolar moods, like we said, are not simply caused by social events, though BPD moods that include mood swings, being emotionally intense and reactive, feeling shame, guilt, distress, and being irritable are all followed by social rejection. There is a direct link there. If our FP is kind and attentive to us, for example, we're in an awesome mood. But when our FP has to do their own life stuff and cannot answer us, we become intensely sad and even suicidal. Number two, we fear our FP will reject or abandon us. When we have an FP, we devote the majority of our time and day to the needs of this person, to thinking about this person. When I had first met my husband, I remember feeling like time and space had stopped because of the intense love I was developing for him. Every thought, every action, every behavior somehow came back around full circle to include him. Even very early on in the relationship, it was hard to focus on other things. I wanted to figure out how to keep him with me. As you recall from the BPD criteria, anxious preoccupation with real or imagined abandonment and paranoid ideation under stress are parts of the diagnosis. We develop this intense attachment to our FP 
and then have one foot in reality and the other in paranoia that this person will leave us. And that's when we start to perceive rejection from little things, right? Like a few minutes or an hour without a text or a thumbs up or a like on someone else's picture. Those things cause us to start creating these stories and narratives in our mind that aren't true about the person leaving us. And we even try to read the minds of that person. The more distressed we become, the more paranoia we experience. Number three, we lose ourselves. Well, there's only so much time in a day, right? If most of that time is spent on our FP, there is little to um, no focus on our identity, on our own goals, on our own values. Remember that one of the nine criteria for BPD is an impoverished, poorly developed, unstable self-image and feelings of emptiness. One of the biggest difficulties people with BPD have is forming their identity and a stable sense of self or feeling strong and stable in who we are, in other words, right? Instead of forming our own identity, we place that responsibility in the hands of someone else. We look to external stimuli to fill that space of profound emptiness. An FP becomes a viable external stimuli, right? Much more preferred over some hobby or interest because we can take on their identity as our own. This is one reason why we engage in splitting behaviors, because when an FP relationship ends, or we think it will end, we take away everything that has to do with the FP and become once again overwhelmed, distressed, suicidal, and really struggle to find meaning in life. One thing I found with the FP that I have a really hard time wrapping my mind around or maybe even agreeing with is that attachment to an FP is outside of our conscious control. Meaning like it just happens and we don't have any say in it. We can't control it. I mean, maybe this is the case without treatment, but this phrase implies that we don't have a choice. And I know from my recovery and from helping others recover that this is simply not true. Now, I can see that it could begin unconsciously, but the continuation of the FP is a choice. After all, let's be honest, it is so much easier to rely on someone else to do the work of recovery for us, especially when the battle is emotionally exhausting. It is exhausting, isn't it? If we lack internal motivation and a stable sense of self, why on earth would we try to form our own identity when we can just borrow one from our FP? So let's talk about why this is a problem and how having an FP prevents recovery in an honest way. In order to do that, though, we have to talk about tyranny first. Are you tired of feeling frustrated, resentful, or disconnected from your family, friends, and partner? Thrive? Mind Body LLC Mindset Coaching and Counseling can help you. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com. And receive 10% off your first session pack with coupon code THRIVE10. See you then.
What is tyranny? All right. Tyranny is cruel, unreasonable, or arbitrary use of power or control. So what does tyranny or being tyrannical have to do with BPD? Well, unfortunately, a lot. I mentioned in previous episodes that we can become tyrannical. Tyrant is a strong word, right? And I am sure that many of you are thinking what I once thought and what my clients think when I tell them that they are being a tyrant. There's no way I'm a tyrant. That's insane. It makes no sense. I have a huge heart and all I want is the best for others. I'm not a tyrant. I'm the most compassionate, empathetic person I know. And I say the same thing to them and to my old self as I will say to you right now. Therein lay the issue with BPD. We are all of those wonderful things. We are compassionate. We are empathetic. We do have huge hearts. And dialectics, we are also tyrants. Unfortunately, the controlling behaviors are the things that stand out more to our loved ones, to our FP, to everyone who believes in the stigma that is behind BPD. We can be pushy, controlling, bullies, and outright tyrannical when it comes to getting what we want in a relationship or just in general, which is not having the person that we love leave us, disapprove of us, or disagree with us. Well, what's wrong with that? Okay, well, for one, it's selfish. We act like our needs are more important than the needs of others. We threaten, we make demands, we give orders, all to get people to stay with us and to stick by us. Now, if you're trying to wrap your mind around this and you're trying to come up with an example, let me give you a few to help out. If you have ever threatened to commit suicide based on the behaviors of someone else, someone breaking up with you, someone disagreeing with you, someone not giving you what you want, you have engaged in some sort of tyrannical behavior. Look, I know that tyranny is a strong word, but you know what? It's BPD, people. We are strong folks. (laughs) So what is controlling to others I'm going to call tyranny for us. Think of it as that so you can placate your intense thoughts and emotions. Okay, so we insist on doing things our way, right? We also insist on getting the last word a lot of the times. We insist on dominating trivial issues. Going out in public can be an ordeal for someone with BPD. Think about all the steps that are required to go out in public with your FP, especially if your FP is also your romantic partner. You guys have to choose a restaurant, choose where to sit, figure out what you're going to order. Now, if you have an eating disorder, I mean, this is a whole other thing, right? You have to figure out what fork to use, how long to stay, how much to tip. The whole thing is a huge ordeal. And maybe we do it in the name of anxiety, right? Like maybe we say that we are so anxious that we need every step thought out specifically for us to ease our anxiety. That's controlling. It's tyrannical. Whether or not you have an eating disorder or anxiety, it just is. I mean, let's think about your favorite person for a minute. Aren't they everything to you? They determine your mood, your thoughts, Your very state of being each and every day. When they are sad, you are distraught. 
When they're happy, you're over the moon. We say that we would do anything for our favorite person, but that is only true if they are meeting all of our expectations. And if they don't, we quickly assume that they hate us, are going to leave us, and then we begin that process of devaluing them, meaning trying to bully them, control them, and belittle the very person that we just said we would do anything for. So then tell me, how is the person that you believe to be your FP actually your FP? Remember now, we talked about telling the truth and having a good moral compass in order to begin to create a stable sense of self and to begin to trust yourself. Is having someone else responsible for your, your state of being love? Is that caring? Is that compassion? No way. You know, clear answer there, no It's not compassionate, it's tyrannical, it's burdensome. It sets that person up to fail. Let me say that again. We create a story in our heads that says that our FBP, our favorite person, is a person we would do anything for, and that we are more empathetic and compassionate than others. But in reality, we set these people up to fail. We set selfish expectations that they can never meet in order to cure our own need for an identity. That's not love. It's not compassion. It's cruel. If I asked someone in the throes of the disorder, in the throes of BPD, if I said, be my everything, and I told them that my very mood depended on their mood, they would crumble and say, it's not fair. And they would ask me how I could ever expect that of them. Well, let me ask you a question. If I were to tell you or anyone with BPD, you're my favorite person, would you yourself be able to handle that responsibility? That would mean that you would have to be cautious of your every move around me because if you don't text me back right away or answer my calls, I'm going to be angry with you. I'm going to be pissed. And I'm going to tell you that you aren't a good friend or that you don't love me, or that you don't like me. I'm going to also even tell you that you're going to leave me. I'm going to install that in your head. And I'm going to say I hate you first so that you don't leave me. How about this? If you wake up sad tomorrow, you'd better watch out because I will blow up your phone, stalk you, yell at you, and just freak out because I can't handle you being sad. You need to be happy. You need to stay with me. If you aren't happy, I'm devastated. And if you break up with me because we aren't right for each other, I'll kill myself. I'll go to a psych hospital. I'll fall apart. And it's your fault. Now let's say I'm a teenager. Wow, this is even tougher. If you're my parent and the lines were so blowed so you are sort of my best friend and my parent all at once, well, watch out, because if you tell me I can't go hang out with my friends, I'll kill myself. If you take my phone, I'll kill myself. Or I'll tell my therapist I want to die. Or I'll cut myself. Or I'll run away. Or I'll have sex with random people. But I'll tell you what, if you give me everything I want, we're cool. You stay in your corner, and I'll stay in mine. That's tyranny in teens in adults. Yes, to all you parents listening, that's tyranny. And favorite persons? Yep, it's tyranny. So let's say it is an unconscious attachment. 
let's just say that you start out being a best friend and you try your hardest and it's you know unconscious and it unconsciously becomes this very tyrannical relationship and obsessive relationship so if you're digging deep and truly being honest with yourself right now hear me out it's not unconscious anymore is it Awesome. So now you have a choice whether or not you want to continue to believe that you truly love your FP or whether or not your FP is an excuse to never recover and to never find out who you truly are. That's rough, right? It's a lot to swallow. I've tried to put my message out across multiple forums and saying something like that could be perceived as being a victim blamer. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. It's a choice. Maybe it wasn't before. Maybe entering into the relationship and it becoming dysfunctional isn't. But right now, after you've heard this, you know you have to be able to see that. That your love is actually this selfish attempt to get your own needs met. And here's the kicker. I know that none of what I just said is intentional. I know we're not a cruel group of folks. In fact... We are the exact opposite. However, our intentions cannot be seen and heard when our behaviors look like what I just described. The phrase favorite person is a myth, a lie, a falsity. We should change it, actually, to favorite hosts. We need nourishment. So I'm going to nourish off of you. You're here. I'm going to attach to you and I'm going to get mine. Like a tick. We feed off of our favorite hosts until they pluck us off and we die. I challenge you today to spot the hypocrisy in these relationships. Ask yourself if you can meet the expectations that you set out for others. Ask yourself if you want to be a tyrant or a good person. Really see, challenge yourself to look outside of yourself and see what your behaviors do to the host. Really see. Listen to them when they're talking to you. Don't assume that you know their intentions and don't assume that their intentions are negative. Try assuming that their intentions are positive and that they truly mean what they say. Don't read between the lines and ask yourself if your love looks like love. Remember, Love is choosing to treat others the way you want to be treated. This is really important. Love is choosing to treat others the way you want to be treated. So if love is one of your core values and you are treating your favorite person with expectations that you know yourself you couldn't bear the burden of, then you're not treating others the way you want to be treated. Shift your perspective. Consider your favorite person, your favorite host instead, your FH. See yourself as a tick, sucking the very life from your FP, and bring this into your awareness. Don't do it, though, in some self-deprecating way. Honestly, this is all we know, right? This is not this intentional act to suck the life out of someone, etc., etc., and we can just sit around feeling sorry for ourselves now because Rose said that we're like ticks on a host. Don't turn into a tyrant towards yourself. 
All I want you to do is hear the truth, bring it into your awareness, because the only way that we can heal and grow is by knowing the truth. The truth in love, because you didn't know any other way. There was no way for you to understand this stuff yesterday, a week ago, a month ago. Even if it's been told to you before, maybe today's the light bulb for you. So it's looking to the future that matters. Bring it into your awareness. Stop yourself when you see yourself doing it. Do the moral compass work. Every time you spot yourself placing all of your everything into your favorite host, ask yourself if that's fair. Is it love? Is that how you want to be treated? Remember that movie Avatar? Remember the whole I see you bit? I don't know how many people fell into that, but I definitely did. Like, I love that. Because to me, it was like, oh, I more than love you. I see you. (laughs) I used to say that to Jay when we were first dating, too. It's funny. You know, but I never did see him back then when I would say that. Ask yourself if you're truly seeing that person. Meaning, when you say I love you, when you say I see you, when you say you're my favorite person, do you reciprocate the love? Do you look at their life and respect them as an individual? Do you do anything to help lessen the burden for them out of selflessness? Maybe if the answer is no, you can do something selfless and not expect validation or accolades for the thing that you do. Maybe if your best friend is just your best girlfriend and they have a kid, you can watch their kid free childcare so they can go out on a date without saying, well, I watched your kid for you right? Random example there, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Okay. And remember this, that unconditional love, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around. So be aware of when your love is tyranny and practice aligning your behaviors with love. With some of this stuff, you might need help from a trained professional. You might need coaching to be able to figure out where the line between tyranny and love is. Now, that's what a lot of my work is with some of my individual clients is to try to help them figure that out because sometimes, you, you know, it's, it's hard to see yourself. So get help. Go back again, like I said before, to the moral compass episode and actually do the work that I talked about there. Do it again if you did it before. Be gentle with yourself. Be kind to yourself. Stop bullying yourself. You didn't know what you know now. Start with the truth of the favorite host. Remember, the only way we can change is to see the truth and to make different choices based on that very truth. Time for some Q&A. This week's question is, from a mom's perspective, a mother of an individual with a borderline personality disorder diagnosis. And the question is, did I cause BPD? Did I cause my child to have BPD? Um, And so what we're going to do now is we're going to listen to a clip from Dr. Mary Zanarini. I thought that she said it best. And remember, um, all the clips that I take on the individuals working at McLean study of adult development are all from the youtube channel borderliner notes so a big shout out to them if you want to see the whole clip you can go over there but this is you know part of what she's saying is addressing the idea that it's all the parents fault and then i'll come back and explain that a bit further all people with 
KPD have what I've mentioned as a hyperbolic temperament. What's that mean? That means you're very insistent and persistent that people pay attention to your pain. Although, again, it's hard if you're hiding it for people to do a good job of noticing it. Um, and then something happens to kindle the disorder. Other than that, you just be who you are. And that something can be catastrophic, such as profound childhood sexual abuse. And for a lot of people, it's not. It's just trying to separate from one's parents, going off to college, getting a first job. And instead of accepting the fact that you're having trouble in your academic work because you're anxious and scared, and you're having trouble making friends or dating, people often turn at that point toward their parents in an angry way and fight with them rather than acknowledging that the problem doesn't exist in their parents, it exists inside them. So again, you start with a temperamental disturbance, which we're now realizing is common in children and early adolescents who can actually have full-blown cases of BPD. I've seen it here in the hospital in girls as young as 13. Um, and parents who are often uh, blamed for this disorder are oftentimes average expectable people who are trying their very best. Um, they're not perfect. They've said the wrong thing. They've done the wrong thing, but they really are eager to learn more about the disorder so they can be more effective parents. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't some parents who really are abusing their children, neglecting their children. But I think that's more rare than we would like to admit. Awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that clip. So it is a myth to say that bad parenting is to blame for borderline personality disorder. This is a common misconception that all people with BPD grew up with abusive and emotionally distant parents. It's just not true. Borderline personality disorder is believed to be a result of both nature and nurture. So there's a genetic component and then there's a nurture component. So although BPD is often linked to childhood abuse, some people with borderline personality disorder come from perfectly functional families, like quote-unquote normal backgrounds. The problem is that the parents parenting you or whoever parented you, they, were, they weren't equipped, like they didn't know how to teach an extremely emotional child. And so if you grow in you grow up and you're hypersensitive and your parents don't understand that or they treat you like a child who isn't hypersensitive, then you don't learn how to manage that emotional hypersensitivity. So it seems as if they're not validating you and they aren't in that hypersensitive child, right? So they might say, they might um, brush, brush off something like, you know, say you fall and you get a cut and as a child and you're crying and you're devastated because you are now scared to get back on your bike and it becomes like really big for you. Well, as a parent, you know, maybe your mom or dad or early childhood caregiver is like, you know, brush it off. You're going to be fine. And their intent is to get you to let go of and move past the pain. But you see it as, oh my gosh, like I can't trust this person. Person, They're not safe. They don't even care that I'm hurt right now. And that differing, those differences in perspectives and that ill-equipped 
um, parenting style that your early childhood caregivers were engaging in, those are the things that create this invalidating environment. It's not parents themselves to blame unless they were actually, you know, like um, in the video, like unless they were, you know, bad people, abusive people. So I hope that makes sense. You know, if you're out there and you're the mom of an individual, especially a teenager with BPD, you know, the best thing that I would say that you can do is learn how your perception differs from the perception of your teen. Even if you have a child and, you know, who's older, it doesn't matter if you don't agree that you weren't validating to them as they were growing. What matters is that they perceive that you weren't validating to them. So if you can go back in time and just validate them, meet them where they are, be in their perception and see the differences between the two, you can connect on a whole deeper level rather than just being, you know, uh, distant, you know, and not acknowledging that your child doesn't think in a neurotypical way. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.